Welcome to the All Around Joe Podcast, where we optimize your human performance from my personal experience as an athlete, coach, and all-around self-improvement junkie. On this edition of the All Around Joe Podcast, I am talking to Mike Tarnapol from Inside Tracker. Mike is a very interesting guy. He's a registered dietitian, has a ton of experience as an athlete, CrossFit, and rowing, and he's just full of information. So I'm excited to dive into this podcast where we talk about all kinds of things as it relates to Mike, Inside Tracker, and we even get into a discussion on a ketogenic diet and if it's right for CrossFitters or who it is right for in general at the end of the podcast. But before I jump right into things, I want to talk about my partners on this podcast. And the partner that I'm going to talk about is actually Inside Tracker fitting, right? So Inside Tracker is a company that I've been using for a couple of years now. And the reason that I have been using Inside Tracker is because I have been a self-testing nerd for about 15 years, meaning that I would test things and see how they worked and test things again and see how they worked again. And I got to a point where I was doing, you know, bodybuilding, ultra marathon running, CrossFit, Ironmans, all this stuff. And I thought I was doing everything right. I was following all of the really smart people that were talking about things. I was following the medical journals, all that interesting stuff to me, put it into my diet, see how it worked. And then I came across Inside Tracker and found that I was not necessarily optimizing myself as it relates to what my blood work says. Really interesting stuff. So after doing Inside Tracker for the first time, I found that I needed to eat more carbohydrates. I needed to eat some different carbohydrates and I needed to eliminate red meats from my diet altogether, which is pretty interesting because I had thought that red meat made me feel energized, but it turned out that it didn't and I couldn't really tell. After about a a month of making these changes, personally, what I did is found that my energy level went through the roof and I didn't realize that it wasn't that high before until you actually have these changes and you're like, huh, that's interesting. And I dropped about 10 pounds, which really looked like it was almost all body fat. I didn't really test at that time to have a specific analysis on how much body fat I lost, but I went from about 205 pounds to about 195 in about a month. And it was definitely a lot of body fat that was, that had left my body as well as my strength stayed up. So I had these really interesting things that went into play just by affecting my diet based off of my blood markers. So Inside Tracker is a company that I'm a huge fan of. And if you would like to get yourself a discount on Inside Tracker, you can use the code ALLAROUNDJOE and get yourself a discount. So listen to the rest of this podcast with Mike Turnipole of Inside Tracker, and you will find out why I am such a big fan and hopefully learn some things about dieting, inside tracking, blood work that you didn't know before. All right. Today on the All Around Joe podcast, I have Mike Tarnapol from Inside Tracker. Mike, how are you doing today? Good. Thanks, Joe. Uh, thanks for uh, having me on. I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to uh, the next hour or so. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, as anybody who's listened to the All Around Joe podcast before, they know that I'm a huge fan of Inside Tracker. I've been using their services for years. So any chance that I get to talk with them and Mike in particular here, I jump all over it. So when Mike asked if we could do a podcast, I was like, hells yes, we're going to do a podcast. 
And, uh, you know, uh, gosh, it took us a few months to get this on the calendar, but uh, I'm excited to have this conversation. And and hopefully you listeners out there are uh, either already using Inside Tracker or this will open up your eyes to some really cool things that that I've found by using it. And, at, you know, just jumping back into my story a little bit, for those of you that listen to the, are listening to this as the first podcast, I've been trying to hack my body for gosh, over 15 years. And I truly did not know what the heck was going on until I started using Inside Tracker. So that's why I'm so passionate about it, why I'm so excited about it, and so excited to have Mike on the podcast here. Mike, enough about me. Let's talk about you. Tell us a little bit about yourself, your history, and you know how you got to where you are today. Oh, I'd love to. Let's see. My path in uh, you know, health, wellness, uh, nutrition, performance, etc., I started pretty early in my life. I uh, was introduced to CrossFit around 10 years old, which uh, is a little bit more commonplace today, but a little bit more unheard of, uh, you know, 10 years uh, or so ago, 15 years ago. So um, early on, I was pretty entrenched uh, with, you know, tinkering with my own diet, trying to see, I'm not going to lie, there was definitely some aesthetic aspects to why I was tinkering with my diet as, you know, any teenage guy uh, might not admit to at the time, but is definitely thinking about. <laughs> Um, but there was also some performance, uh, benefits that I was looking for, you know, in the CrossFit gym and in life and in my other sports uh, throughout high school, et cetera. Um, and really, uh, kind of one of the stories that I always share when I'm trying to get people to understand what I mean by tinkering with, I, uh, competed in sectionals, uh, in CrossFit in 2010. This is back before the CrossFit had the CrossFit open and the, the whole qualifying process that they have now. But I was 16 years old, and my parents up until that point had been putting up with me uh, being pretty uh, restrictive with my diet and uh, making sure that I eat clean or quote-unquote healthy, whatever my definition for that was at the time. But the night before uh, competing at these sectionals, I spent the entire day uh, you know, cooking chicken breast, uh, doing some uh, brown rice, making sure I had vegetables, portioning those things out. Uh, making sure that I was hitting some sort of macronutrient ratio that I thought at the time was going to give me kind of the best output uh, and put those into a uh, container, brought that to the event, was eating those throughout the entire day. So I was pretty focused from a, from an early age. And, and really um, what that allowed me to do was perform at a relatively high level compared to my, myself, uh, you know, throughout the years. And, Started out, uh, you know, doing CrossFit for a lifestyle, started getting relatively good at it, uh, you know, compared to my early years. Uh, and then I kind of manifested into competing. And it wasn't until uh, my senior year of high school, actually, that I considered myself more of a CrossFitter than anything else. Uh, I'd played baseball uh, up until that point, and I was pretty set to go play baseball at maybe a, a D2 school, uh, if I was lucky, probably D3 school. And that was kind of really my focus. And CrossFit was more of the, hey, I'm doing this on the side so I can be really uh, fit for my baseball career, which does sound like a little bit of an oxymoron, but, you know, bear with me here. <laughs> um, and, and one day I kind of woke up and realized that I couldn't stand baseball anymore. I love watching it, uh, you know, to this day, and I, and I love the sport itself. But for me, uh, you know, playing it just wasn't what I was looking for the whole uh, you know, I had to go to practice for 
four hours a day and then go hit the gym at 10 o'clock at night to do the one thing that was truly important to me, which was fitness. So I decided to put baseball on hold and was going into the CrossFit gym multiple times a day just because that was my lifestyle, not for any other particular reason. And one day, somebody who happened to be a rower in college, uh, they were on the crew team at their university, saw me pulling on the rowing machine, just a 500-meter piece, all-out max effort, and likely with less you know, technique than I'd care to admit now. <laughs> but they, uh, nonetheless, uh, you know, I was ripping on the, on the erg machine, pulling the handle all sorts of directions that it, uh, you know, should or shouldn't go. And the number on the screen was relatively good for a 17 year old who has no sort of rowing experience. And it's just kind of relying on the physiology that CrossFit has given him. But they said, Hey, you should give it a try. And at first I was like, who in the hell would do rowing? As a sport, first off, you got to stare at this damn machine for hours on end. And second off, uh, if you ever do make it onto the water, you're not even looking in the direction that you're going. So uh, who in in a right mind gets any sort of satisfaction from that? But, uh, you know, quickly, I realized that, you know, this might be up my alley, considering that both of those things ended up sounding interesting to me, because a similar aspect, who would, you know, lift a uh, weight, you know, that's relatively heavy as many times as they possibly can go sprint a mile, go get on the erg and then, you know, finish off with some burpees. So similar kind of mindset there. Good. But, point. <laughs> uh, yeah. So there, there were definitely some parallels. That's, that's for sure. Um, but I, I went out to my local club about halfway through my, my senior year and I ended taking, ended up taking to it pretty, pretty quickly and pretty well. Uh, and it worked out for me. I ended up getting recruited, uh, to row at Cornell university where, I rode at the varsity level uh, for four years, tried my hand at the the national team level as well. But while I was at Cornell, the uh, years and years and years I've put into, uh, you know, tinkering with my own diet, I decided that I wanted some formal education uh, in the in the subject. So I majored in nutritional sciences at Cornell uh, and then continued on in grad school as well in nutrition at Cornell. And I'm currently now a registered dietitian. Um, and kind of through everything that I learned, um, in my, you know, nutritional career and my athletic career to date, I take this view that today's, uh, nutrition practices at the, at the basic level and the statements and the theories are often unreasonably complex, convoluted and and conflicting. So I really wanted to set out to say that, Hey, nutrition doesn't have to be this uh, difficult for the masses, if you will, whether you're talking about nutrition for longevity or for performance or overall health uh, or a combination thereof. And I found Inside Tracker through a former colleague uh, of mine and, a, and uh, also a Cornell grad. Um, and she had been doing work for Inside Tracker and said, Hey, you should come give this, uh, uh, you know, give this a shot and see if this is something that's up your alley. And in speaking with our uh, chief scientific officer, his name's Gil Blander, he's a PhD in uh, genetics. He's the founder and, and his mission was pretty identical uh, to the one that I was trying to say is that uh, you know, nutrition needs to be personalized, it needs to be simplified, and it needs to be actionable. And so I jumped on board and kind of made my uh, you know, way through the company here the past year and a half. And right now I oversee all things CrossFit for Inside Tracker. Uh, and that's that's my my main role. So, wow, very cool. And quickly, how old are you now, Mike? I am twenty four, almost twenty five. Wow, you've done a you've done a lot in your fitness career at a young age, which is awesome. Yeah, I owe, I owe a lot of it to uh, to CrossFit. That's for sure. 
put me on the uh, professional personal trajectory uh, that I am on now. So definitely thankful there. Yeah, man. I wish that I would have had, or I wish CrossFit was around when I was younger so that I could have gone down that road too. Jealous of all those kids that get started, you know, at a young age these days. It'll be crazy to see what happens in uh, years to come with, with the teen division and everything. And, uh, but yeah, I was relatively lucky. I, I started at Rogue Fitness in uh, Columbus, Ohio. <laughs> That's so cool. It was before Rogue was the Rogue that you know, most of your listeners will probably recognize them as uh, today. But uh, Bill and Katie, the owners of Rogue, had an affiliate once upon a time and then did equipment on the side. And quickly they realized, and obviously rightfully so, that the equipment side of things was going to take off for them. And they sold their affiliate to two guys who were coming out of college who majored in physical education and were trying to find other things to do with their lives besides be personal trainers at the local Globo gym. But those guys happened to be uh, Graham Holmberg and Brandon Cowden. Wow. So Graham Holmberg, 2010 CrossFit Games champion. So I started CrossFit with him. Um as he was starting CrossFit. So I was kind of entrenched in the, the initial onset uh, of CrossFit, if you will. And then Brandon Cowden is a very successful affiliate owner. He now runs uh, CrossFit Grandview in Columbus, Ohio. It's uh, pretty large. It has 800 members, a uh, huge facility, and they do pretty, uh, he's pretty successful in terms of that. So yeah, that was my, my intro, which is why I, I gravitated it, uh, towards it so quickly and, and, and easily. There was always CrossFit HQ guys in and around Rogue because it's Rogue, uh, because Graham was there. So uh, wow. I was entrenched in the lifestyle. Not necessarily CrossFit as a sport so early on, but CrossFit as a lifestyle. Right, right. Very cool. And you've got some serious CrossFit history going here. And I've got a, I've got a quick question for you um, before we get into a little bit more on the inside tracker stuff, but just out of curiosity, um, when you, before you went to college, did, were you doing much with what the CrossFit uh, affiliates uh, use as, an, as a nutrition template? So were you doing much with like zone and things like that? So I wasn't. Um, and, and the main reason that I didn't follow zone is, is really kind of, a, I like to make up my own opinion about things. Sure. And the way that I went about it uh, was to take a look at uh, human metabolism. Um, and I realized that the metabolism is really a map uh, and everything's pretty interconnected in terms of uh, you know, how your body decides to burn a particular energy source, whether it be carbs, fats, proteins, um, or create new ones, for example, ketone bodies and ketosis, and how those function and what turn on and turn off those particular uh, mechanisms in the body or those reactions. And I felt that I had a pretty nailed down system uh, in terms of, okay, what are the things that, uh, you know, are external stressors that might cause my body to turn on or turn off a specific pathway? And then, for example, you know, what am I doing with my diet and the, the influx uh, of nutrients uh, over time, what will that do and its effect on uh, a particular pathway, etc. And then from those particular things, I was able to formulate my own perception of what clean, healthy eating was. I came to a realization that is very similar to, let's say, eating, uh, you know, fruits, vegetables, nuts, seeds, uh, lean protein, uh, some fruit, little starch, no sugar. Um, if I got it right, let's see, <laughs> I uh, need to go back to my, my level one course, but I should have rattled that off quicker. Anyway, 
Um, it, it was close to that. My only difference was um, the amount of carbohydrates and starch that I would take in is significantly higher than some of the affiliates would uh, recommend. Um, but otherwise, yeah, it was a roundabout way for me to answer your question is I got close to it, but it was from my own understanding rather than, uh, you know, kind of top down. Okay, interesting. And then Adding on to that, what changed or was there anything, was that similar to what you learned when you went through your program at Cornell? And the reason that I ask is because when I went through my nutrition program at San Diego State, what I've learned up, you know, the last 10 years or so has, is completely different than what they were teaching then. So I'm just curious if you found that that was the science and things that you learned at Cornell were similar to what you were doing or did it like throw a huge wrench in what you were thinking at that time? Yeah, it's a great question. I was pretty lucky uh, at Cornell because the nutrition department there is multifaceted in that those who are looking to approach nutrition from different angles have the ability to do so. So for example, if you're more interested in nutrition at scale, let's say policy and um, those sorts of uh, views on nutrition top down, what are the the uh, you know large nutritional principles that we can give to individuals so they can live happy, live happy, uh, happy healthy lifestyles. Mm-hmm. Um, on the flip side of that, there was a way for me to go much more down the biochemical route and really understand how uh, different bio, uh, biochemical pathways function, and therefore come to certain conclusions, you know, whether we're taught them or whether we come to them just by uh, looking at research, et cetera, on what we can do at a high level to alter those particular uh, metabolic pathways. And that was the approach uh, and the direction that I took. Um, So I always feel that, you know, if one of those top line nutritional principles uh, is something that I disagree with. This is not something I disagree with, but let's just give an example of, okay, you should eat, uh, you know, two to three servings of, uh, vegetables a day. Well, if you don't understand the biological mechanism as to why they're telling you to do that, uh, then it's really difficult to form an opinion on whether or not that is something that you should implement or shouldn't implement. Uh, and then you come into the problem of, okay, yeah, they'll change this in three years. They'll change it back in five years. Today, eggs are good. Tomorrow, eggs are bad. And who the heck knows why and where to get your sources from. Right. But if you get that metabolism, uh, you know, underlying uh, mechanisms down, then you could start to say, okay, well, why are they recommending, uh, you know, vegetables three times a day? Or why are they recommending eggs today and not tomorrow? And who's right? And is there a right? Is there a wrong? Uh, or should we be looking at an individual basis type deal? Does that answer uh, your question? Yeah, I mean, it sounds it sounds like you had a pretty cool program where you could you could go down those paths that you were interested in. Uh, mine was a little bit more confined, uh, I think, and maybe it's changed now. But I, I feel like every single year that we dive into this stuff, there's more and more interesting research that comes out and is probably molding these programs. So I just thought yeah. it. Would, Interesting to know what you thought. No, I I certainly agree. I think it's a differentiation between a top-down approach and a bottom-up approach. Yeah. Um, And and really kind of seeing how that uh, top-level research affects, uh, you know, decisions in schools. But at the same time, if you have a pretty solid foundation in, you know, biochemistry or nutrient metabolism, et cetera, then you can come and say, 
you know, whether or not you are up to date on the current research or not, your ability to assess, analyze, interpret, and implement that research or what somebody is saying uh, is is magnified, is you know, magnified, and you're able to to help individuals a little bit more. That's my perception. Um, yeah. Cool. Cool. I think that's really, really interesting. And I hope that people that are listening are taking notes here because this is, I agree. I think that that's how you should be looking at it as well. So it, I don't know how you could look at it any other way, really. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. I'm of the same mindset. Cool. So let's get uh, a little bit deeper into what Inside Tracker does and how do you explain to somebody that has never heard of Inside Tracker what they are? Great. So at the most basic level, we are a blood analysis company, uh, but really kind of where our bread and butter is and what we truly care about are the recommendations that we give uh, to individuals. These are nutrition, supplement, exercise, lifestyle recommendations based off of that blood work. And then also other factors about that individual, such as their height, their weight, their age, race, ethnicity, also things like how they're currently training, how they're currently uh, eating or what their diet looks like. And if they're supplementing with things, what does that supplement regimen look like? And then kind of that totality of their health routine is what we make evidence-based recommendations off of. Um, so we're looking at certain biomarkers in an individual's blood work. And these biomarkers help give us an additional light into how their body is responding physiologically to that health routine. So often uh, we're left to our own devices to figure out, okay, today I feel good, tomorrow I don't feel great, I slept a lot today uh, or last night and this morning I feel amazing or I didn't sleep a lot and I still feel amazing, I'm not sure why, and then two days later I don't feel great. Uh, and then we track our performance over time. You know, Today my endurance was better, tomorrow my Metcons aren't so good, then my strength goes up, it goes down, it fluctuates. Um, but when you add into, um, those, uh, those assessments, those kind of subjective assessments, some objective data of blood work, you start to be able to piece together a picture and have more of an understanding of what your body is doing and therefore can make more targeted pinpointed, uh, changes to obviously improve the biomarkers for you that need some additional tension, but see that long-term effect of improvement in your uh, in terms of reaching your goal, whether it's a overall health goal, aesthetic goal, wellness goal, performance goal, what have you. And that's the end goal. Um, so really for us, the, the recommendations, uh, you know, we're a recommendations company first and a blood testing company second. Cool. And maybe because I need to dig into inside tracker a little bit more, are you guys taking uh, these subjective factors into play on inside tracker right now? We are. So each uh, profile, the, the way it would work, uh, for example, is we have a few different plans and each plan really only differs in terms of how many biomarkers are tested. Um, and those biomarkers that are or are not in a particular plan are there um, to hint at a particular goal, whether it's, for example, overall health or athletic performance or a combination of those. So once you chose a plan that's right for you, or you ask us to help you in that decision, uh, then you get an inside tracker profile. And that's where you start to tell us about yourself um, from your supplementation to your lifestyle habits, such as sleep or sunlight exposure, alcohol consumption, et cetera. Uh, what your current diet looks like, for example, are you eating fish never? Are you eating it uh, once a month, uh, once a week, a couple times a day, sometime in between, or some amount in between, I should say. 
Um, and then from there, um, you know, what your supplement regimen looks like. Uh, so frequencies and amounts, for example, not only are you just taking vitamin D, I want to know, are you taking 2000 IUs of vitamin D3 daily? Are you taking it once a week, et cetera? Um, and all of that information is then held and we give you a PDF lab slip uh, to take to a one of our testing partner facilities. We partner with Quest Diagnostics across uh, the majority of the country. There are a few states where the process differs slightly, but what will happen is, uh, you know, for the majority of, of users listening, they'll take that lab slip and head right into a Quest location, and they'll bring a photo ID. Quest will take the lab slip. They'll know exactly what to draw, where to send the results. There's no additional charge. You've already paid through us. And then from there, it's a short waiting game of about three to five business days. And the results will come back into your profile. You'll get an email that says, hey, Joe, your inside tracker results are in. Click into your profile, log in to take a look. And from there, all the analysis and recommendations uh, will be up and running and ready to go. So we help you choose a goal. Now that your blood work is back in, we say, hey, here's what your biomarkers uh, look like. And here are the markers that relate to particular goals, whether it's optimizing metabolism, losing weight, gaining weight, uh, improving uh, strength, improving endurance, et cetera. And that'll kind of give you more of an idea of maybe areas that you might want to focus on. Mm-hmm. And once you choose that, then we say, okay, here are the markers we looked at. Here's why we looked at them. Here's how they relate to you and how they relate to you specifically in terms of overall health and athletic performance, less so in terms of chronic disease or acute illness. We can get into that in a second. But, uh, and then from there, the analysis, the nutrition, the supplementation, exercise, lifestyle recommendations will be there um, for you and, and enable you to affect uh, positive change in the particular marker that's, you know, quote unquote, not optimized for you. Yeah. Awesome. Good stuff. And for those of you that, uh, well, because I, I recommend this to a lot of people, I always get the pushback of like, well, you know, I gotta go get my blood drawn. And I can tell you having done it several times now, it is a incredibly easy system with quest diagnostics and you're literally in and out in like 15 minutes max, you know, and the people, everybody that I've ever had to work with is very good at what they do. And just super easy stuff. So it's not something that you should stop, you know, deciding to go down this road because of it's so easy. Yeah, it's akin, what I always say, to a yearly physical or maybe, you know, biannual physical, depending on on how your general practitioner functions, uh, when they might draw blood work. The total amount of blood taken is basically less than a a two-ounce shot glass. Uh, So it looks like a few amount of vials, but the total amount is much less um, than it, you know, than it looks like. Um, and the turnaround time is, is pretty quick. The blood draw itself takes about 10 minutes and then you'll get the results back in about three to five days. Yeah. It's, it's, it's amazing to me how fast that turnaround time actually is. I mean, it, it just surprises me every single time. I'm like, wow, I felt like I just got that done and there's the results. And even if, if somebody had told me it was going to take a few weeks, I'd be like, yeah, that sounds about right. But it's, ne- it's super fast. Yeah, what's great is uh, we have the systems in place to make it kind of a seamless uh, integration between the results at Quest. Of course, this is a a secure data, uh, but they're able to get that data directly to us the second it's processed. Uh, And then we have a a physician who takes a look just to see from a disease perspective, you know, is there anything out of the ordinary, which happens maybe 
0.1% of the time. And then from there, the results are immediately uploaded. So the, the process is quick. Uh, instead of saying, you know, we have to send this to your physician and your physician has to get notified and they have to take a look. And then only after they take a look, they have to remember to tell you your results are in. And if you don't call, then they forget those sorts of things that normally take the, uh, you know, the blood work you get from your doctor a little bit of time to get back to you. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. And, uh, Touching on that, the the physician that looks for chronic disease, uh, who do you think Insight Tracker is for or is not for, and is there a not for? Um, there is certainly a not for. We can hit that first. Insight Tracker is definitely not for somebody who's looking to manage uh, either chronic disease or acute illness or diagnose any one of those. Um, so it's really for, uh, that's better left to your uh, physician. We're certainly not a medical company. But who is it for? Well, it's really for that individual who wants a better understanding of what they should do, especially nutritionally, but kind of across the board for a general healthy uh, uh, lifestyle and, and, and health routine. Uh, but they're having issues figuring out uh, who in the media today they should be listening to. You know, is the keto diet the new next thing? Or should you go back on Atkins from 20 years ago? Or should you be following paleo? Should you be getting your DNA tested? And kind of the uh, convoluted way in which information is given to us today makes it difficult. So for those who are looking to say, okay, let's go to a company that has taken peer-reviewed scientific literature, boiled it down to easily understandable and actionable recommendations. Let me give you an example let's say your fasting blood glucose is a little bit elevated um, and you have a, a few other markers that are quote unquote out of range, we might boil all of that down to say, okay, based off of that, you might benefit from um, adding a half a cup of rolled oats into your diet seven days a week uh, to help lower your fasting blood glucose uh, you know, levels. Now, there's certainly a heck of a lot of biochemical reasons as to why we made that recommendation and, a, and a loads of studies to support it, but not everybody needs that um, sort of information. They just need to know, okay, we assessed your actual physiology. We've taken a look at your lifestyle and your behaviors, and based off of all that and what the current scientific literature says, we recommend X, Y, Z. Sure. So that's kind of who it's for, uh, generally speaking. And then, of course, there are some segments of populations of those uh, individuals who are, you know, looking for uh, dialed-in athletic performance uh, and understanding, you know, what their training day in and day out is doing to their health. Uh, and the same thing for those who are biohackers, which you might consider yourself one, Joe, who are really trying to optimize themselves to the nth degree um, so that they get the, you know, benefits 20, 30, 40 years down the road from now uh, you know, they're able to wipe themselves when they get off the toilet sort of thing. You know, so there are definitely <laughs> certain types of uh, pockets, but the, the overall is somebody looking to lead a, a, a healthy uh, lifestyle and how they get there might be a little bit different, but healthy lifestyle is the, uh, the, you know, the target segment for sure. Cool. Yeah. I know that. Yep. I'm totally into trying to optimize everything that I possibly can. And I think that why wouldn't you want to at least have some idea of going down that optimization role if it's going to make you feel better, potentially look better and live longer, you know? Of course, of course. Um, something that I'm interested in, just I ask this a lot of people that I interview is like, do you have an idea of like 
where Inside Tracker is going over the next few years, do you have any things that you guys are incredibly excited about um, to see that maybe like correlative data or like new technologies or anything like that that you can share? Yeah, certainly. So personalization is certainly on the forefront of uh, not only health, wellness, and fitness, but also healthcare. And that is kind of the vision uh, for us is, is true personalization across uh, different facets uh, of testing parameters. So, uh, you know, we've chosen to look at blood biomarkers. These are things like vitamins, minerals, nutrients, uh, other hormones, et cetera, in your blood. But there are also companies out there right now looking at things like, for example, your genetics uh, and making recommendations off of that. There's also people looking at your microbiome and making recommendations off of your microbiome and its profile. Um, and really, we've you know, to, to give you an understanding as to why we chose blood, uh, it's really because there's a, a whole heck of a lot of scientific literature um, over the few past, you know, few hundred years that relates um, blood biomarkers and to particularly health, wellness, fitness, performance. And on top of that, there is further research that suggests when you make a particular um, change in your lifestyle or your diet or your supplementation uh, or your training, that those mar those particular blood biomarkers are malleable by one of those interventions. Okay. So that's kind of why we uh, gravitated towards blood. Now, DNA is interesting. Uh, it's pretty much where we are with DNA um, from a wellness, fitness, performance perspective um, is that we can certainly sequence a genome. Uh, we have done that. We figured that out. But in terms of the interpretation of what those specific uh, mutations might mean in somebody's genome is a little bit less charted territory only because it's been around, let's say, for 25, 30 years or so. So what we're hoping to do and what we're starting to do, actually, is figure out a way, and as the, the scientific literature becomes more robust in this area, a way to connect blood biomarkers with DNA um, and also potentially microbiome as well the explanation as to why we don't use uh, microbiome testing right now is the same as DNA. The research around the implementation and the interpretation of the results is just not strong enough yet. But once it gets there, we uh, envision kind of a product, whether it's us or another company, hopefully us, that takes all these facets of an individual and combines them so we can say, okay, you know, you have a propensity based off of your genetics to have a higher LDL cholesterol. Okay, well, we've also taken a look at your um, blood biomarkers, and we see that your cholesterol is, in fact, uh, high. And then we also have taken a look at your diet, and we see, you know, hey, you're eating a diet pretty high in saturated fats, um, or maybe you're eating a normal diet, and you still have a high cholesterol level. So then we know, okay, for you, we're going to have to do some pretty targeted interventions to get your cholesterol level down because you have a pretty high propensity. Whereas, uh, you know, with blood alone, we have a pretty good idea of what might be happening, but it's certainly not as strong as, as we continue to combine all of these different um, aspects. So hopefully, probably, I'd say in the next 10 years, uh, these sorts of testing companies will be pretty prominent and maybe change the face of healthcare or how we interact with, with healthcare in the United States, at least making it more proactive versus reactive. Yeah, absolutely. I, I you know, I, I think that 
man, the more information that we can get, the more data that we can have, I think it's just so interesting to, you know, going down this road of, of what you should be eating, what you should be consuming, how your lifestyle should be going. So it's super cool to hear that you guys are, are moving down that road and excited about those particular things. Yeah, it certainly, uh, it, it certainly gets me excited, uh, you know, to come into work every day and figure out what's, what's the new thing on the horizon um, that we're going to be able to implement to help people have a better understanding of what's going on for them personally so they can move away from you know, blindly accepting or forcefully being, uh, you know, being forced to trust whatever their CNN money is putting out about carbohydrates today because it's in the area and inflammatory rhetoric. So it sounds sexy. Right. Um, so that's, that's what gets me going. Yeah. And, uh, something that just came up from, you know, you're talking about the DNA and whatnot and looking at other, other factors that may come into play. I hear people asking me questions about allergies a lot how do you, what are your thoughts on that? And like, how does that come into anything that you guys are doing? Uh, it's a great question. And, and right now, uh, inside tracker does not, uh, do like food sensitivity testing slash food allergy testing slash intolerance testing, which, um, are subtly different tests kind of, but most people are talking about the, the same thing, which is, uh, you know, food allergy, food sensitivity. And to me, uh, and to us, the research behind, again, what those results actually mean in terms of performance and health isn't quite there yet. So, for example, let's just say you have a report and it comes back and says that, you know, you are, uh, I don't know, 100% more likely um, to be allergic to bananas uh, than the general population. Well, uh, if you take a chance to assess what that actually means. Let's just say uh, the general population has a 0.1% uh, chance of being allergic uh, or intolerant uh, to bananas. So if you're 100% more likely, that means that you are, uh, you know, you have a 0.2% chance of being allergic or intolerant um, of that, you know, particular food item, in this case, bananas. So great. What does that mean? Well, we don't actually know because how that quote unquote intolerance actually manifests itself in your body in terms of long-term health, in terms of performance, does it have any sort of actual negative effect uh, is likely minuscule because we're talking, you know, uh, 0.2 out of a hundred scale. Um, but the way that they say the results sounds interesting enough. So then people you know, cut out bananas, ignoring the fact that bananas have a bunch of vitamins, minerals, nutrients, phytochemicals that have been proven uh, to be beneficial to health. Uh, and then they're getting rid of those in their diets. Um, I had a, a client talk to me and he was allergic to pretty much everything but water, right? So we know, <laughs> based off of that, we know, okay, yes, maybe you have a small inflammatory response in your body to a particular food item, but does that actually mean anything? And on the flip side, you know, it might even be uh, beneficial to expose yourself to small little bits of, I don't know, maybe oxidative stress to get your body as uh, defense mechanisms up and ready and running to be able to counter those in other situations, uh, you know, from a disease perspective later on. So the mechanisms of which, um, you know, those small allergic reactions, you know, whether they actually mean anything or not is uh, kind of up in the air. So 
the gold standard for figuring out if you're intolerant to something is the elimination diet. So mm-hmm. take it out for a, a few weeks, that particular food, add it back in. If you don't feel great, well, it turns out you might be intolerant to it. Um, and that's kind of the, the go-to for particular food items where somebody might uh, think they're intolerant um, to. And, and that's a good thing to use for things like dairy and things like um, gluten, which somebody might be uh, you know, actually intolerant towards things like bananas, et cetera. Um, they always throw up quote unquote, you know, inflammatory responses, uh, generally aren't actually, um, anything to be concerned about. Okay, cool. And so I know that like on inside tracker, one of the fun things that they have on there is, you know, if I need to improve a certain marker, they might recommend eating this amount of that food for X number of days per week. And that's always something that I found that is very valuable. And that, like an example that you gave earlier, you might have a half a scoop of, you know, rolled oats and it would tell you, you have that seven days a week. Whereas, you know, let's say that there might be some other marker, marker that has you have some side of, sort of salmon and they say have that, you know, two days a week or three days a week. And that's always something that I found is very valuable in that. And uh, the reason I brought that up or I think of, I, I was thinking about that is, you know, you mentioned that like, you might be able to have an or want an inflammatory response sometimes, but it's not that you want to have it necessarily all the time. Is that correct? So that you could like maybe segment those particular foods in and out of your diet. Yeah. I mean, I guess theoretically that would be uh, something that you could uh, play around with. I don't know if going that specific um, would reap you that much benefit okay. uh, compared to, you know, making sure that, you know, you're spending 80% of your time focusing on, uh, you know, making lifestyle and food behavior changes um, that's, you know, have you eating, let's say, uh, whole grains, fruits, vegetables, nuts, seeds, lean proteins at certain times throughout the day. I think putting energy in there is much more useful than, you know, putting it into um, food allergy and, and food sensitivity slash intolerance, which, um, are two different things I should, should clarify if I haven't done that before. Food sensitivity and food intolerance are, are different than food allergies. Okay, cool. Yeah. I, thanks for clarifying that. I know a lot of times people will get really hung up on those particular things and, and I've always wondered about the actual science behind it and how accurate those, those tests are for people. Yeah. I mean, it, I'm not too familiar with the testing in and of itself in terms of the, the, the actual laboratory techniques. Um, but kind of generally speaking, a food allergy is a, a immediate intense allergic reaction to a food. Mm-hmm. It's also known as type one hypersensitivity. Um, but it's characterized by an immediate uh, rise in uh, an antibody and an IgE antibody. I don't want to get too much into immunity because it's not my expertise. That's for sure. <laughs> that's just uh, looking at biochemistry and, and getting an idea for, um, you know, what's going on in the body. But um, in other words, it's an IgE mediated uh, immune response. And then food sensitivities um, are a little bit different. They're often confused with food allergies, but they're a little bit less understood. Um, and the methods for the food sensitivity um, are a little bit, um, you know, less uh, accurate in terms of they're still being researched. Um, okay. For the allergy, you can do things like a skin uh, prick test, a food challenge, 
um, which is like an elimination diet. And there's also certain laboratory tests that can be run. And this is, uh, you know, something that would happen if you went to your allergist, you know, people have probably gone to their allergists and get pricked for lots of different things to see, you know, what potentially they are allergic for. Um, so there are foods that do cause those allergic reactions, but food sensitivity is, um, you know, much less, much, eh, much less studied and well-known. Cool. Does that help clarify things? It's a very yeah. complicated topic. <laughs> no, I think it's good. I, I, I appreciate someone, you know, of your knowledge, taking the time to kind of answer these questions for us and, and just clarify things a little bit because, I don't have these answers for people, but I think it's interesting to go down the road and, and let people, you know, understand and then make those decisions, you know? Yeah. It's good. The food, uh, I was just at Wadapalooza recently, actually, uh, for, uh, inside tracker. And a lot of people were coming up and asking questions about food sensitivity and intolerance. So it's a pretty hot topic, especially in the CrossFit world right now. Um, my guess is probably because it's easy. People want a delineated reason as to eat this, not that versus, you know, eat in this particular lifestyle. That's much harder. So a lifestyle and behavior change is much harder to implement that than it is to say, I'm going to avoid these 50 foods because I was allergic to them. And if I do, uh, you know, I'm going to be better off health wise. And that's just not the case. Sure. (laughs) Yep. Everybody wants the easy way out. Some people, some people (laughs) definitely want the easy way out. I wouldn't say inside check. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. I shouldn't say everybody, but it seems like a lot of people are asking for the, the easy way, but either way, uh, moving on. So I know that a lot of people that are listening are, you know, interested in increasing their performance. They're, you know, hard charging CrossFit athletes or triathlons or whatever they may be doing. Um, and this may be just a question that's completely individualized, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Um, are there any blood markers that you've seen in particular that when adjusted from high to optimal have had a huge difference in people's performance versus other markers? Um, certainly. Yeah. Those would be fasting blood glucose levels, um, as well as things, a couple hormones like, um, uh, cortisol is definitely one, uh, is a stress hormone. And when that's high, uh, as well as fasting blood glucose being high, a lot of times people have issues with energy and energy throughout the day. Um, and when those come down, as well as uh, creatine kinase and some liver enzymes, these are measures of uh, muscle damage and muscle breakdown. Um, when those are all kind of high, uh, it could be a, a few different reasons and factors as to why. Um, but from a training perspective, oftentimes those individuals either just competed in something, so they just trashed themselves for you know a, a determined amount of time and tested afterwards to see what their biomarkers look like and they're often elevated and then over time as they recover properly and efficiently um, those biomarkers go back into the normal and clearly they feel better than the day after competition Uh, but chronically uh, that's more of an acute sense but from a chronic perspective when those are elevated a lot of the times it'll mean that somebody could be and you have to assess this in light of a lot of other factors as well um, could be you know borderline overtraining or in other words, non-functional overreaching instead of, you know, trying to force some of those deep physiological adaptations, um, with heavy training or heavy bouts of training, either from the strength perspective or endurance perspective or Metcon, a combination of all of those perspectives. Um, and there are other markers when those are high that could potentially be low that you would want to look at, um, to begin to have an understanding of what's going on. Things like testosterone, things like, um, sex hormone binding globulin, things like, 
white blood cell counts and your inflammation markers as well. Um, all of these will give a pretty good window into what your body is doing uh, in response to your training. And then of course, um, the point of inside tracker um, or any similar service for that matter, even if it's an individual interpreting the results is to say, okay, now that we know where your body is at this particular point in time, and we know the things that you've been doing recently from a nutrition and training perspective and even supplementation perspective, here are those targeted things that you can do um, to mitigate either any continual rise uh, in those particular markers or, um, or help uh, bring them back down um, into the optimized zone or up into the optimized zone, uh, sure. depending on whether, you know, up or down is good or bad. Um, but kind of across the board for both CrossFitters, triathletes, those are the, the markers of concern for um, performance, generally speaking. Cool, cool. And how often do you usually recommend, recommend that people are testing in order to make sure that, let's say that they have a a couple of high markers, how often do you think that they should be testing in order to make sure that they're getting those things back into the zone? Or let's say they don't have high markers, how often do you recommend? Yeah, it's a great question. So across the board for both of those types of individuals, the gold standard for testing is four times a year. It's pretty sufficient uh, to see baseline changes across the board in these particular markers. Some markers you won't see a, a baseline fasted change in for a few months, which is why we recommend those. And then kind of those are more of the energy and metabolism markers. Uh, on the flip side of that, you have some of the strength, endurance, oxygenation, performance markers that have some fluctuations on a day-to-day -day basis, um, just naturally. Uh, but if you are um, testing about three months out, you'll see changes in uh, the baseline values for those and start to form a trend and see if you're trending in the positive uh, or, or negative direction. So then that begs the question, okay, uh, what if that's you know, too frequent? Well, it's really goal specific. So if you're somebody who, yes, obviously has performance goals, but is, has those performance goals and, the, and, and uses them as a means to get to a larger goal, which is something like overall health or longevity, uh, in other words, performance is a means to an end, um, then testing twice a year is pretty sufficient. On the flip side of that, if you're somebody who is looking to really dial in a performance around, let's say, a particular event or training season, or you want to see how your body responds to uh, you know, competing at a CrossFit competition over the weekend, so you'll test before and test after, then you can have tests you know, kind of spurred throughout the year. That'll be your routine checkups. And then you can drop in specific tests around that particular event or uh, you know, training session that you want to have more of an idea of what's going on. So I have clients and, and we have clients that will certainly test uh, twice a year and then up, uh, you know, all the way up until eight, nine times a year, depending on what they're, what they're looking for and what their goal is. Awesome. Okay, cool. Super, super interesting as far as clarifying how you would decide to do that. And then the next question is, um, how are we doing with insurance companies and the best way to get these really important things paid for? Unfortunately, the answer isn't uh, what I want to say, or at least not <laughs> yeah. what we uh, want to get to eventually in the market. But uh, healthcare is you know, obviously a, a very, uh, let's say, 
politically charged topic. So we'll stay away from going that way. But what I will say um, is that generally speaking, Inside Tracker is considered uh, proactive instead of reactive. And therefore, um, it is not covered by insurance. And uh, m most individuals pay out of pocket um, for a particular plan that they choose or, or multiples of a plan. That being said, if you do have an HSA or FSA account uh, set up with your, your health care, we do qualify as a medical expense. So you could use FSA or HSA dollars um, on inside tracker testing. So that is one way that you can get it quote unquote paid for in mm -hmm. a roundabout sense. But uh, generally speaking, it is out of pocket. Now, I will tell you that our ultimate plan, which is the, the, the top of the line, if you will, uh, plan, it assesses 42 different biomarkers. And um, if you were to go into uh, your physician's office and request these biomarkers be um, drawn for you, first off, they would likely say, unless you have an amazing physician, they'd probably say no. And the reason why they'll say no is because you're not presenting with any sort of sign or symptom um, of a disease that might be related to one of these particular biomarkers. So therefore, they can't bill insurance for them. So they'll just say they won't be able to draw it. But if for some reason they say, yeah, we'll give you an order slip and you'll go to, let's say, Quest Diagnostics and they'll just charge you out of pocket for it, this same panel, uh, we've seen instances of, of people being charged between $1,700 and $1,800 for this 42-marker panel. Wow. Um, and what we've set up and have the ability to do is charge $589 for that top-end panel and then provide additional guidance. So that's $1,700 or $1,800 that you might pay is um, for the PDF results alone. So they're just simply saying, here are your results. This is you compared to the clinical reference range, AKA, are you sick or are you not sick? Mm -hmm. Instead of our approach, which is saying, okay, we know a lot of information about you. Um, here is where we think your markers should be optimally, um, not just taking you and comparing you to the general population, but comparing you to you and where you wanna go. Um, and here's how you can actually achieve that um, through nutrition or supplementation or exercise. So that's um, why, uh, it, you know, we feel that the uh, you know, price point is significantly better um, than what you would get if you were to get uncovered, um, you know, blood drawns through, let's say, physicians. Uh, but that being said, it would be great to come to a point where, yes, something like this would be covered by um, insurance. Trying to avoid going into a, a healthcare conversation, if that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. I, I know. I just the reason I ask is just because there's so many people that I deal with uh, every single day that I will tell you know, hey, you should really look into getting your blood work done by Inside Tracker, and their next question is like, oh, you know, who does my insurance cover that? And I have to go down the road of saying, you know, well, I don't, most insurance companies don't, or, you know, maybe you can contact them about your HSA or whatever that might, might be. And then my follow-up is that it's, you know, I pay 500 and, you know, something dollars a few times a year to make sure that my body is in tip top condition. So I don't have to go and pay more insurance company, pay for more insurance companies because I have, you know, I don't know what the hell is going on in my body a few years down the road because I've optimized things and hopefully I've avoid, avoided having some of those problems. So is that 500 and something dollars each time not worth that to your health? Yeah, I couldn't, you know? I couldn't put it any better myself, Joe. That's uh, exactly what we say. And 
and often people times are, are people are often price sensitive to $589. I mean, I'm not going to lie right around the bush. I would be uh, as well. It's a, it's a good amount of money. Um, you just touched on the value, but also um, if you start to look at some of the uh, quote unquote lesser plan options, and they're not lesser in terms of the quality, they're lesser in terms of the quantity of markers tested, but that doesn't mean that those plans aren't great introductions to using biomarkers um, you know, to um, better your health and better your performance. And you can get a lot out of those plans uh, when the price point is closer to about $189. Um, and we also have a $99 option. If you're trying to figure out and you're new to this uh, quote unquote quantified self world, um, you know, on the forefront uh, of nutrition here, those are great ways to get going and see, okay, uh, you know, how is my body responding? What do these things mean? What are small scale changes that I can do? And then you can really assess to say, okay, is this something that I'm actually interested in doing, uh, you know, more in depth next time? And then I can add in uh, those additional markers that might allow me to have a little bit, uh, you know, more specific connections between things like my training and my nutrition and my supplementation and the biomarkers themselves, um, which is really, again, another only difference between uh, the plans is, is the more data that we have um, in terms of the more markers we have and the more we know about an individual, the more connections that we can make between that individual's health routine and what the biomarkers are saying. Um, so that's uh, another way to, to kind of think about getting into blood testing. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, just so people listening that out there know, you know, I, I do the ultimate plan. My girlfriend does the ultimate plan. We're really hard charging CrossFitters. I've got my, both of my parents doing ultimate plans. Um, I bought tests for my business partner. Uh, I, I think I got her a, a lesser test to just kind of get her, her toe dipped in the water and, and go down that road. But it's just like, like Mike said, you know, getting started and in, in looking inside of your body and seeing what's going on is so important, you know, and those that are important to me, it's important for them to be knowing this information. So I just wanted to emphasize that. You're definitely a super user, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> I just believe that people should know what they're putting, you know, know what's going on inside their body. So they know what they should be putting into it and you know, what they should be doing as far as their movement patterns and you know, all of that that goes, goes into a healthy lifestyle, you know, um, let's see next up. I have some, some kind of interesting questions for, for you, Mike, to hear what your thoughts are since I have you on the call here and then we'll get through those and, and let you get going on, on the rest of your day. But, uh, is there anything that's super exciting to you right now in nutrition, health or fitness that you're just like nerding out on? <laughs> um, there's nothing that's, uh, too crazy outside of these, uh, this biomarker stuff. So, um, figuring out exactly what markers we should be testing and why and in what combinations, um, and then what we can do nutritionally to combat any sort of um, rise or fall or keep them where we think they should be so that the, um, you know, the, the data that we get and the recommendations that we can provide are truly personalized. I often uh, talk about it like this, you know, uh, if you go to a uh, registered dietitian such as myself, they're going to, uh, you know, assess your diet. They're going to probably ask you to do a food recall. They're going to talk about your lifestyle. They're going to talk about your behaviors, figure out what's going on for you. 
um, and what's inhibiting you to be quote unquote successful in terms of reaching your goal or unsuccessful and how they might be able to help, especially from a nutritional perspective. And um, I certainly don't get me wrong, do every single one of those things when talking with a client, but I've gone through years and years of schooling to have all these uh, pieces of nutritional knowledge and I'll call them, let's say darts. Um, and I have these knowledge darts that I can throw potentially at targets that are kind of free floating in space. And those targets um, are quote unquote issues that somebody might be having uh, nutritionally that we're trying to solve. And I'm trying to figure out what dart I should pick up, but also what target I'm supposed to be throwing the dart at. And I'm taking a look at their behaviors uh, nutritionally throughout the day. I'm looking at their recall. I'm looking at their activity levels. I'm telling, uh, you know, asking them how they feel, how their performance is, all these subjective pieces of information, uh, you know, what their height, their weight is, all of this uh, data, and then trying to utilize what I know about uh, science and about biochemistry to say, okay, I think that. I'm going to pick up this particular nutrition knowledge dart and throw it at this particular target. Well, when we start to add things in like blood work, the target starts to become abundantly clear because I still have all of this information. But before I was making assumptions that, hey, this person's telling me that they're having energy problems throughout the day. They're telling me they're eating this amount of carbs, this amount of fat, this amount of protein. I think that their fasting glucose might be a little bit elevated and I'm going to employ uh, with this person, some of these nutritional interventions. Well, now I know for a fact that this person's fasting blood glucose level is high and continually high because they test with me uh, quarterly. And I still have these same nutritional knowledge darts. And all I have to do now and all the individual has to do with me is pick up this knowledge dart and hit the target, uh, which takes, you know, three months uh, or so of trial and error of figuring out, okay, now how are you feeling since we've implemented some of these recommendations? Were we right? Do we continue with these recommendations? Do we implement something different? Uh, do we do something in combination, et cetera? Now we know, okay, we're going to start here, uh, get rid of that trial and error phase um, and start with that next. Okay, now we're going to put these in. Are you feeling better? Let's check your biomarkers. Let's see what your body's saying physiologically. Are we actually seeing the change that we're trying to affect? Mm -hmm. And all of that stuff is what uh, I geek out on. Uh, and then you put that stuff in combination with, with biochemistry and give a reason as to why something might be working. Um, and that stuff is exciting. That's like the, uh, you know, where we're going with, uh, I hope you can hear it in my voice. Cause like, it's, uh, it's crazy to think that, you know, sooner or later we're going to have the ability to put uh, something that's truly personalized um, for an individual from a preventative aspect uh, together um, and something that's based in uh, science so that they don't have to wonder and figure out, uh, you know, who they have to listen to and why. You can say, no, literally, this is what your body is doing right now. This is what the science says. And this is how we're going to implement that science in your day-to-day -day life so you can actually see, um, you know, the changes that you're, that you're looking for. And that's kind of the, the, the new gold standard, I think, that we're shooting for. I love it. I love it. And if... We are going back to the inside tracker stuff and what you just said, if somebody wants help interpreting their data, do they hire you above and beyond or is that included or how does that work? So right now that is not included. Um, that is uh, something that uh, an individual would have to, um, you know, find elsewhere. We certainly have uh, referral systems and individuals that we work with who are either, 
you know, functional medicine doctors or other registered dietitians that we feel comfortable with um, and their ability to interpret um, biomarkers in light of all this additional data that we've talked about. Mm -hmm. um, however, that being said, I am more than happy to also hop on a call with uh, anybody who's interested in chatting about their results. It's not quote unquote included. Uh, it's also not an upcharge. It's just something that I'll do for an individual because I want to help. Um, so that's kind of where that stands now. Uh, we're moving potentially towards a way where uh, individuals can get more of a, a system um, in place to where they can reach us more directly as part of their plan. But right now that hasn't been scalable for us. We're a relatively small company in terms of uh, you know, national and international coverage. If we have thousands and thousands of clients, which we do, and uh, you know, the three dietitians that we have on staff would be uh, fielding questions every day, all day, and, and not improving the product. So sure, sure. it's kind of a combination of all those things. But, you know, if somebody's on this podcast and they mentioned that they came to us uh, from you, I'd be more than happy to uh, chat with them individually about all of these things and kind of see if we can help. Cool. Well, I definitely appreciate that, Mike. Thank you so much for offering that to people. And uh, yeah, I just, I enjoy emailing or chatting with you regularly. So that's fun. <laughs> yeah. uh, so let's go with, uh, we'll do one more question. And this is kind of a, uh, a hot topic for me and people in the, I guess, maybe not even CrossFit, but like uh, performance enhancement world right now. And I kind of have a two fast, two part question here is like, first, what do you think, or what is your opinion on these keto diet fads? And keto, when I say keto diet, I mean, not only the keto diet, but like, uh, as well as the exogenous or supplemental ketones. That's the first part of the question. And the second part of the question is, I've seen lots of people that are that are performance athletes doing this in like long distance triathlon and such, but I never hear of anybody talking about it as it relates to CrossFit. So like I said, first question, what do you think about keto diets and, and supplemental ketones? And then secondly, is there a space for this in CrossFit? It, unless you just think that there's no space for it in, you know, health and fitness at all. Wow. That's a pretty loaded question. And <laughs> uh, um, so are pretty loaded two questions, I should say. Well, uh, okay. So first off to answer the, the first one, I've also seen, um, some success for, uh, you know, ultra runners and, and marathoners, a pretty long distance endurance sports, uh, you know, when they follow a, a ketogenic diet or put themselves into, uh, ketosis, if you will. Um, I haven't seen that in CrossFit. And I think a uh, reason for that really is if you, um, think about how our body decides that it wants to um, burn energy in, in particular, you know, under particular stress factors. Um, CrossFit and ultra running are two entirely different things, uh, metabolically speaking. And from the, the perspective of what sort of metabolic demands are we putting on um, our body when we're doing these high intensity Metcons that are taking, you know, between uh, let's say a long one is in the 30 minute range. Most of them are probably somewhere in the 10 to 15 minute range. Um, are you putting yourself into a position where your body is going to want to, um, break down fats, uh, and use those for energy and also break down those fats and use those to create ketone bodies, which it can therefore also use as energy. 
uh, when you're in that kind of long distance, um, uh, you know, that long distance race, breaking down those fats might be um, a little bit more feasible because you're looking for kind of a long uh, source of energy over a prolonged uh, period of time to where things like your skeletal muscle um, and your uh, brain will be effectively able to uh, utilize those ketone bodies and fatty acids for energy. Um, and, uh, you know, when you're in the CrossFit state, your body is not thinking, um, okay, I am biologically programmed right now in this quick burst of energy where I need to go balls to the wall, for lack of a better expression, for the next 15 minutes uh, to utilize fatty acids and ketones as efficiently as it is uh, programmed to utilize uh, glucose whether it was derived from breaking down our own stores of uh, carbohydrates such as glycogen um, or creating glucose to use as energy uh, in the liver through gluconeogenesis, that's converting things like proteins into amino acids to create glucose molecules for energy. Same thing with breaking down um, fats and part of those fats can go into gluconeogenesis to stimulate glucose production as well. Um, but the way I like to kind of think about it um, in terms of our metabolism um, is a constantly smoldering fire. Um, you know, if you think about coals that don't really have too much of a flame, but are kind of sitting there smoldering red hot. Uh, and we have three options that we can add to fuel that fire in order to keep it burning. We can either throw lighter fluid on it and it burns pretty quickly and gives us raging flames, maybe not um, for that long, but for the period that we're looking for. Uh, we could throw a damp newspaper on it and uh, eventually, after that newspaper dries, um, the coals will work to dry it off, and then it'll catch fire, and it'll burn, um, but it takes energy to, to get to that point. Uh, and we could also throw a log onto the fire. It's not going to catch quickly, um, but when it does, it'll also burn for a good amount of time. It's definitely not going to rage. And those are my analogs to carbs, proteins, and fats at a simplistic level where those lighter fluids are carbs, the damp newspapers, proteins, and the fats are logs. And throughout the day, our body is making specific decisions about which fuel source it should metabolize, in other words, throw on that fire. So that begs that question of, okay, what are those factors that cause your body to make those fuel source decisions? And those factors are, you know, what your body has stored, how much of a certain fuel source you have stored. So for example, do you have enough glycogen in your muscles and your liver um, to break down and utilize as a glucose source to get that quick energy, especially during a CrossFit workout? Um, what is your diet look like? Do you have an influx of, of different fuel sources? You know, if you're only eating fats, that's going to propose an issue for you to um, you know, store glycogen because you're not going to have um, glucose coming in that you can then convert into stores? Um, or do you have external stressors? And those external stressors um, and imposed demands are things like physical activity, uh, also things like stress, whether it's physical, emotional, lack of sleep, etc. So when you decide to uh, work out in a particular capacity or you decide to eat in a particular way, your body is constantly working to figure out, okay, I'm going to turn this pathway on, this pathway off. Um, and running for a long distance over time has a different metabolic effect than, um, you know, doing a quick high intensity uh, workout. And you're going to see different performance benefits because of that when you, um, you know, eat particular food sources or forced 
puts your body into a particular state. Um, in other words, all of those factors affect your body's equilibrium, um, which it's constantly trying to maintain. Um, does that, I, we can go further into this, but I, <laughs> this is a long conversation. So you got me excited. So totally. I no. <laughs> and, I, and I think it's really interesting because it's something that I've been studying a lot lately. So having somebody smart like you to have this discussion is, is very interesting. And I guess the, so do you ever find a, a point in your, in your path or your, with your clients that you recommend a ketogenic diet for them? And what are you looking for? Is it just for these long distance athletes? Is it for certain blood markers? Are there any other factors that come into play? So I, uh, in my schooling and in my knowledge and my experience, I don't necessarily recommend a ketogenic diet to particularly anybody outside of uh, maybe those suffering from um, epilepsy. That's a pretty um, uh, tried and true method for actually hundreds of years. There's evidence to suggest that uh, Egyptians used to think that people who suffered from seizures or those who were uh, epileptic uh, had demons in them. Um, And the way that they would get those demons out is to shut them in a dark room and not feed them. Um, So they actually discovered ketones and they discovered this process, uh, but they didn't know it yet. Um, And now it's a medically accepted way through medical nutrition therapy. um, And you need to get a dietitian for those particular instances that specializes in um, uh, uh, managing epilepsy through ketogenic diets. Um, Their their specialty will, will... definitely help with that. Most dietitians know, generally speaking, what, uh, uh, what to do and how things work, but somebody who specializes, obviously, same thing with physicians, same sort of deal. Those who specialize have, you know, much more of a knowledge base on that particular subject. But mm-hmm. um, in terms of other benefits that I've seen in the research, and I'm certainly not uh, an exercise physiologist, I just listen to smart people who are. I'm also certainly not a neuroscientist, I just listen to other smart people. And what I've come to um, understand is that, you know, from a cognitive perspective, there has been some benefits to something like intermittent fasting, which isn't a ketogenic diet, but is forcing your body to produce more ketones than it otherwise would if you were to feed yourself multiple times, uh, you know, throughout the day, every day, uh, kind of deal. And some individuals in the neuroscientist community have suggested that, um, there are cognitive benefits in terms of staving off uh, certain cognitive degenerative diseases um, when you employ something like intermittent fasting. And there has been some evidence to suggest also from a metabolic perspective that intermittent fasting could have an effect, a positive effect on fasting blood glucose levels, um, etc. So that I might work with somebody with if we've exhausted all other resources to, let's say, you know, if blood glucose is a concern for them. Um, and we've gone through other mechanisms in their life that much have, that might have a, a larger effect, uh, and must, might be contributing more to that glucose level. Mm-hmm. And we might employ something like fasting, but it's not a ketogenic diet. The, the purpose is not to, uh, say we're not going to eat carbs anymore. We're going to force your body to go into some sort of, uh, ketogenic state. And that's going to be beneficial for long-term maintenance health. That is n- not anything that, um, that, you know, I use with uh, clients or the inside tracker um, as a company recommends. But, um, you know, that balance between, you know, your intake again and what's happening in your body is something that you can keep in mind when uh, you're trying to figure out 
uh, and you see those uh, endpoints of the metabolic processes in your blood work. Like if mm -hmm. you see, for example, your fasting blood glucose and you see it over time and you know what you've been doing day in, day out from a workout perspective and from a diet perspective, then there might be some room, um, you know, and you've tried things like increase your soluble fiber intake and you've tried things like making sure you're hydrated all the time and you've tried things like making sure you're getting enough sleep and uh, not overdoing it on caffeine and making sure you're uh, emotional and physical stressors are in line. Maybe you're meditating, maybe you're doing something like yoga and all of those things are routine in your day-to-day -day diet. Well, then we might say, okay, um, let's give something like intermittent fasting a try. And um, most of the time, what I mean by intermittent fasting for some individuals is just not eating for a 12 to 16 hour window. And a lot of people can cover that um, pretty much with the time that they're sleeping. I've also seen some models work um, and be suggested for a neurocognitive standpoint of um, eating normally for five days out of the week and then fasting to around 500 calories a day uh, for two days out of the week. I personally don't think that's necessary and I don't think it's beneficial for athletic performance. I think if people are trying to eat solely for the purpose of staving off a potential uh, cognitive disease, maybe 50 years later in their life, that maybe that might be beneficial. But again, these are, you asked a very uh, detailed, complicated question. <laughs> cool, man. I'm, I appreciate the, the candid answer. And I think it's very interesting because of all the talk that people are having on the subject right now. And I, I just can't find anybody who's directly talking about it in relation to a CrossFit athlete like you just did. So I'm super interested in, and stoked to have you address that because now I can say, all right, you know, check out this podcast with, with Mike and, you know, he actually takes this question down or at least, you know, goes down that road more than anybody else is right now. So, you know, it's also it, hard because we, we don't know um, yeah. for a CrossFitter too. That's probably why a lot of people won't touch it is because CrossFit currently is redefining the way we think about exercise physiology. That's why sure. it's always been tested is because, you know, 10 years ago, if you told somebody that they could, uh, you know, run a sub six mile deadlift twice their body weight and do 30 pull-ups, they would have looked at you and said, no, you're crazy. You can either be a triathlete or you could be a bodybuilder, um, or you can be a gymnast, but you definitely can't do all three. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know, here we are showing people day in, day out that are doing all of those and doing all of those very well. Um, so it's causing us to take and uh, take a second and go, OK, wait, uh, wait a second from I mean, and you're an exercise physiologist. So you probably know firsthand. It's like we have to reassess what's going on. And um, uh, from a nutritional perspective, as a dietitian, then we can figure out, um, you know, that's one of the stressors that might affect metabolism. And can we do something nutritionally to either further that effect or mitigate effect if it's, if it's a negative one. Yeah. Yeah. God. Super interesting, Mike. And you know, we could probably just sit here and talk for a few more hours on this subject, but I know that we've already been at it for over an hour here and I don't want to keep you from the rest of your day. And I know you have a bunch of things probably left to do on your plate, but I really, really appreciate you taking the time to be on the podcast today and just thank you immensely for, for doing that. And, uh, Man, where can people find out more about you or Inside Tracker or, you know, what would you like to self-promote before you get off the call here? Yeah, awesome. Uh, they can follow me on, on Instagram. I have a public account where I, I post uh, you know, information and it's uh, up and coming in terms of uh, nutritional knowledge. They can also follow uh, Inside Tracker on Instagram or they can shoot me uh, an email directly. 
uh, you could probably put it in the show notes, Joe, but it's uh, mtarnapol, T-A-R-N-A-P-O-L-L at insidetracker.com. Um, and if you have any questions around, uh, you know, one, if you've already tested with us and you have questions, feel free to reach out to if you're trying to figure out how blood work or testing might be, uh, you know, something that you can implement in your diet. Also feel free to, to reach out. Or if you're just trying to you know, have a couple of questions answered um, from somebody who's looking to just to help from the bottom of his heart, then send me an email and I'll do my best to respond. <laughs> cool. Well, Mike, thanks so much. Really appreciate it. And I uh, hope you have a great rest of your day. Awesome, Joe. Thanks for having me. It was great to be on and I hope you have a great rest of your day as well. Thank you. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the All Around Joe podcast with Mike Turnipole of Inside Tracker. If you'd like to get more information about Inside Tracker, head over to the custom webpage that we've had built at allaroundjoe.com slash Inside Tracker, where you can get all kinds of information on why Inside Tracker is right or is not right for you. So that was allaroundjoe.com slash Inside Tracker. And if you're just looking for the show notes, for this particular podcast, you can go to allaroundjoe.com slash 122. That's allaroundjoe.com slash 122. And to get more information about Inside Tracker, go to allaroundjoe.com slash Inside Tracker. Oh, and make sure that you use the code allaroundjoe if you decide to get an Inside Tracker package to get yourself a discount. The All Around Joe Podcast, where we optimize your human performance from my personal experience as an athlete, coach, and all-around self-improvement junkie. I will see you on the next podcast.